Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The show is sponsored by Matt Rock, our first official sponsor, and you can become a supporter of the Jazz Session too. It's very easy. Just go to thejazzsession.com/slash/join and become a member. You can do it for as little as ten bucks a month. If you'd like to be mentioned as an official sponsor, like Matt Rock is, then you can do that for fifty bucks a month or five hundred dollars a year if you want to go in uh, one lump sum. But if you just want to become a member, there are levels starting at ten dollars a month and then twenty-five and fifty. Or yearly levels at $110, $250, and $500. And it would be great to have you at any level. The idea is to get 100 members by the 300th show, which is coming up very, very rapidly. As you are listening to this show right now, this is number 294, which means there are six shows left. Or is this 295? You know what? While we're talking, let me just look that up and, and confirm this is 295. There are, there are five shows left. That's crazy. Uh, I'm recording this intro significantly before you hear the show because I'm actually going to be out of town for two weeks. And so I'm not going to put the current membership numbers in this intro because I'm hoping they're higher than, you know, what they are right now when I record the intro. But in any case, this is definitely show 295. If you're listening to this in real time, it's on or about July 25th, and the final show is August 11th, unless you decide that the show is going to keep going. And the way to do that is to become a member. So please join now. Thanks. What you're about to hear may be the the longest episode of the jazz session. It's uh, an interview with uh, the musician and uh, I'm, I'm happy to say now my friend Ken Filiano, who is just one of my favorite bass players uh, on the scene today and a person with whom I have a, a lot in common. And the interview that you're going to hear is really part of about a six or seven hour conversation that we had on this one particular day. And, you know, at some point during it, I hit record, and at some point during it, I stopped recording, and then we had the conversation on both sides. So uh, the interview is is longer than normal, but it's absolutely worth staying with because Ken is just one of those people who has uh, an incredibly wide-ranging uh, set of knowledge, and definitely there was some uh, subject-verb and article-noun disagreement in that sentence, but I think you see where I'm going. So he's a fascinating guy. The music is great, and I highly recommend that you uh, that you stay through to the end because it's really worth hearing. Ken's got a new record called Dreams from a Clown Car, and uh, we'll hear a track from that and then go straight to the interview. Enjoy. <laughs> Thank you. 
my guest is Ken Filiano. Uh, he and his band Quantum Entanglements have a new record on Clean Feed called Dreams from a Clown Car. And uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Thanks, man. I like to be here. I, I got to tell people that uh, although we are only beginning to hit the record button, we've actually been hanging out <laughs> just eating the most killer <laughs> meal. So it's almost like, you know, the bass playing thing is great, but I almost feel like we ought to have like a cooking show and then we'll just stick the bass thing on at the end as a second episode or something. Because, man, it, that was that was the truth, that meal. That was awesome. So oh, Thank you, man. Uh, so let me ask you about that. I, I noticed, um, you know, I got to watch you cook the meal. And I was struck watching you cook by some of the same things that I've been struck by watching you play, which is a real attention to detail, a willingness to just go where things take you, and making sure that you're present with the thing that you're doing. And I think I think those three things apply equally well to the meal I just watched you make, but equally well to the way I see you interact on the bandstand and the way I see you as a musician, both in your own right and, and when you're playing other people's music. And maybe I'll just ask you to react to that. If you think that's an accurate portrayal or I, I gotta say, I gotta, I, I'm, I'm, I dig that, uh, that observation. I'm kind of actually kind of blushing in a, in a good way. Because that's my how I feel like life should be lived, not just music played or not just cook, but like being present tense as much as possible. Right. Yeah. Pay attention to details when necessary. And also don't be, I'm not looking at you right now. I'm looking in my in my brain, but uh, not to be tied up with pre expectations which don't exist. Because once when, when you're in the flow, there's no pre the pre the pre expectation will only get you killed. Sure, you know, th- like if you're surfing or if you're skiing, something's going to happen. Boom, boom, you're bye bye. When you're playing some changes, boom, boom, bye. If you freeze, then you can't play the music right. If you can't live right. And when I say right, I don't mean right or wrong. But if you're not living in the present time, then you have an expectation, then you're screwed. And how do you navigate around that when, for example, you're playing with people you've played with a million times before, and you have some kind of shared vocabulary, and you can, maybe you can't predict with certainty, but you can, you have a feeling for where things might go in any moment. Are there some techniques you use to take yourself out of the, well, he played this, so I'm going to play this? Like I always do, and to put yourself back in the present moment—is there some way you you do that? I don't. And this could be psych. I mean, there's probably psych- psychologists out there that will take that will take. They will say, <laughs> "I want that guy for a, for a session," but I don't. I refuse to go to that place. I refuse. We, and we were talking earlier today. We were about uh, about um, 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 misrepresentation. I refuse to say or experience in my heart. This, since I've played with this person 25 years, that, that that's what they're going to do now. Because immediately that boxes them in, and it boxes me, and I can't be free to know who they are at this present time. Likewise, they can't be free to be who they are. Sure. So so I refuse to even entertain that as a, as a thought. I just say, if I refuse anything, I say, no, no. It's, here we are right now. Here we are right now. Like the dish we made tonight, I've done it a million times. I changed a few things up as we're going along. So I said, oh, geez, maybe it might suck. Who knows? But we just go with it. The decision was already made. We're in the flow. That's it. We have to go to the end. And at the end, if it sucked, you know what? We go around the corner, buy something. It's very right. simple. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So the same thing when I'm playing with somebody. I don't want to box them in. I don't want to be boxed in. And I don't want to box myself in by a preconception. And I think that's one of the things... Well, I won't go to our rant earlier, but it's one of the things I feel I, uh, that I feel 
gets us in trouble as a human species. The more information we get, the more predis predisposed we are to preconception. Sure. And then there's no freedom, zero freedom, in my in my opinion. Yeah. And Does that answer the question? I no, mean? absolutely. And and it, I guess it leads me, it leads me to another one. So speaking speaking in practical terms, when you're, for example, when you're playing over a form. Yeah. Um, and I know you you do all different kinds of playing, but when you're playing over a form, are there? Is it literally just willing yourself to not fall into the trap of the form? You know, to not say this is what for the last. 60 years this is what bass players have done over this court kind of chord progression and therefore that path has already been trod and i'm just going to walk down it too is it literally just willing yourself to not to not be trapped to be present or are there ways musical ways that you can kind of force the issue and say i don't have to play this 251 the same way everybody else has played the 251 for the last 80 years or whatever. that's an interesting question because and, and it's actually a very Rich question, and in, in, in it says it has a lot of components, because yeah, we have to, we have to know what came before us. Like when you and I were talking earlier about history, we both have to know historically what came come about, what comes about, what came about. But then, how does that relate to where we are now? There is no history for now. There is no history for now other than present tense. These same people that did that, the same that used these same formats. Did it then. Now we have a different set of synapses. So who knows what's going to happen? So I just say, in that same format, we all agree. Let's say it's a standard tune, for instance. We all agree what the format is. So therefore, we've agreed with that. Now the journey is, what the? F right. Like, okay. So the journey is there. It is, by the way, okay to swear on this show. Okay. So wait, we, show. we say, what the fuck? It is in the sense that I don't know what's going to happen because I know I'm full of now all the material, information, musical information and philosophical information, spiritual information that's privy to me that wasn't privy, let's say, to uh, Mingus years ago. Not, and, and so therefore, I'm going to be bringing this other baggage that he didn't have. He sure. had his own baggage. And if I'm not honest to that and I'm only going to be privy, privy to say I'm going to be privy to that, then I'm doing now a disservice. Which then does me a disservice, which does then you a disservice, which does the listener a disservice, which does the music disservice, and I may as well go work at Lowe's. Right. And I'll be better off because I'll be doing nobody a disservice, but I'm not <laughs> going to be showing up. I'm going to be in the bathroom when they're looking for, where's the help? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, which I think is the only way to survive that kind of a job. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but so you, you really have, you have two choices, either to follow the path of pre, of, of predeterminedness, which is actually doing a disservice to your to the history and to your to to the people you you respect, or to be present tense and doing whatever it comes, which could be repetition or not. It's always a you know a, bit, a, a little bit of everything. Yeah. But to be honest and not being afraid of the fret present tense. Thank you. 
I'm going to try not to uh, harm the listener by continuing. This is actually like hour three and a half of a conversation we've been having, <laughs> and we just happen to hit record at this moment. And we could right, hit record right, at right. any moment. Right. So I'm going to try not to keep bringing in the stuff that we've had this conversation about. But we did have a conversation earlier about um, – we had this conversation in the context kind of a family and cooking, but about a healthy – respect for the past that isn't that isn't trapped in the past and that knows which bits of the past need to be rejected uh so when we come back to this idea of form and tradition where the music is concerned right. are there elements that like someone once said and i can't remember who some very smart person a musician said when i think of of the, the phrase free as it relates to jazz i think it means i'm free to do anything i want and that means i'm free to play totally straight in the way it's been always been done, or I'm free to go off into space. Free doesn't mean I have no that, that I can't follow convention. It means I'm free to do whatever I think serves the music in that moment. Which sounds, I think, kind of like what you're saying that when you say you have Being to know, fucking know. right? <laughs> yeah. That you have to know what happened before because you might choose to use that. Exactly, right? it might be the most perfect, most might, might be the most perfect expression. One of the things that, for instance, that I that I, I think about is uh, the role of the bass player. In the music we have now, because you know, I study piano, I study this, you know, I'm studying all this, you know, compositional stuff, and so there's always a role. Of, well, these voices require the bass player to do this, or mm -hmm. these voices require the, the drummer to do this, or this. And I say, okay, that's all, that's all well and good, but also those voicings was expressing music from a different time period. I have to know those because that's part of the link, the, the, the lexicon of what I'm required to know. But at the same time, they also show me there's other ways of breaking for, from them. So I have to be freely, I have to be free to be able to make the decision at that moment. Do I do this or I do that? Do I do this or I do that? Let's see. Uh, you know, so that's, but you, but you can't be free if you don't know the past. And you can't be free if you're not, if you don't know the present. You have to have both, know both. Yeah, the past music always, the, the only reason. The only reason past music is fixed is because it already happened and we haven't recorded. Yeah. But as you were saying, in that moment, you know, in 1965, 1965, that night in 1965 wasn't fixed. It was happening right then. Exactly. Now we have it preserved in, in amber or whatever, you know, like a, a, yeah. a fossil, and we've written it all down. But that doesn't mean that it was fixed in time. No, it was at that moment it was totally spontaneous. Right. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have lexicons. Like, no, it's people I've played with for 25 years. We have a lexicon of what we do. But we don't try to try to make each other comfortable in the sense of, like, oh, yeah, I'll do this and he'll do that and he'll, or she'll do this and I'll do that. You know, we just do it. We respond to it because we know their thing. And sometimes I have to say, I'm, you know, like, I, pl I play with some people for 25 years and sometimes I play with them after not playing with them for like five or six years and we'll meet, we'll play. And I was like, whoa. This guy changed his reader. This guy changed his symbol. This guy changed, you know, and it's a mouth, his mouthpiece, or, you know, it's like, whoa, well, that's a beautiful thing. It stimulates me for something else. Let me get to talk later. Sure. You know, so that's a really important thing to be able to stimulate somebody else out of the past and into the present and pitch to the future. Yeah. Thinking about the role of a bass player as it relates to the Dreams from a Clown Car album, uh, actually, and actually before I start talking about the record, will you just mention who's in the band? Oh, yeah. Um, Michael Atias. On uh, saxophones, I think uh, alto, not I think, alto yeah. and baritone, <laughs> Tony Malaby on tenor and alto, uh, tenor and soprano, and um, uh, Michael T.A. Thompson on uh, sound drum percussion. Yeah, the band is ridiculous. I mean, the album is fantastic, but uh, th so thinking oh, thanks, about, the, you're welcome, thinking about the role of a bass player, 
are there uh, like I hear there are times when your role inside this music in, I mean in the specific record is being the bottom but there are other times where sometimes where it's almost like there's three horn players because of the way you play and you you know you find different places kind of in the in the the tonal and like high low register of the music to place yourself at any given moment it's not always just this fixed like i'm i'm holding down the bottom absolutely yeah i think that's probably my boon and my bane is 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 the fact that i i uh i don't want to be held down into into only one situation you know now I should probably rephrase that because if the music, like there's sometimes I'll play a batch of music that will require me to be only in the supporting, when I say the supporting role, the, the bass role. Right. That's fine. If the music is calls for that, I'm not going to just kind of rampage across it like anarchy. But I'm, I'm looking at where we are now in the, where we are now we, in music. I think that the bass is, has, has, there's such a growth in the bass that it has to be, you have to be able to be in the you know in the bass role, be in the midterm role, be in the in, in, in the top role, all the roles, and and knowing where it is, but through your instincts. And I have to, this is where I have to kind of get, tip my hat to everyone since 1975 or 76 who has hired me or asked me to play with them because I have collected information from good and bad. Some of those guys might say, "What the fuck?" But you, I, I really tip my hat to everybody that I've worked with. Because I've got a chance to learn about this, you know, and not not theoretically, but you know, um, corporally, you know, whether or not it was like what I was doing, what I was experimenting, <laughs> with, but no, it gave me a chance to really explore this stuff. Because people have been giving me free. When I say free reign, I don't mean anarchistic reign, but a free reign to uh, to to express their the music in a way that they felt comfortable with. So I, I really I tip my hat to, and I tip my hat and saying thank you very much to everybody. Why, why do that. you think the role of the bass has changed in that time? I mean, is it is it increasing virtuosity? Is it that people hear the music differently? What we've I think uh, first of all I think that there's a lot of t- a part of the music that ha- hasn't changed. I think that it's sure. still it's still that way. My dream would be that we can change. I think we've moved more from a vertical structuring of music simply because bebop. And stream music and stuff was a vertical structuring where, you know, the bass had a certain, had to hold down a certain area in order for the voicings to be created and stuff, stuff like that. And, uh, just harmonic, just a vertical harmony. But I think now we've moved, as we moved away from changes per se, changes in the, in the sense of, of, of bebop changes or like very specific two, five, one, or, and more in, to, in color areas that it gets a chance to more polyphony is involved. And when polyphony is involved, there are there is a vertical structure of a harmonic vertical structure that's not defined by a chord sense, and this is what I think we're we're going to, but not solely. But that's what I'm trying to push in this in this recording. I'm trying to create that. Sure, you know, except for probably Shinobu, which is like which is the only tune that has some really very specific chord changes, but everything else is more kind of um, um, horizontal horizontal polyphony with a sense of the taste of basil right <laughs> you know there we go in, in 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 the vertical structuring sure so i think we have to have but, but a bass player has to have a, a you know as any musician has to have a, both a very important awareness of vertical and horizontal
so when it uh, first of all, in terms of putting the band together, did you have a conception of how you of did, for example, did you already have music written and you put people to it? Did you have a conception of who you wanted and then you wrote music to fit? Or did did you have some idea that necessitated this instrumentation? How did the, these particular three other people end up with you ah, on this okay. record? Um, well, I've in the past I've had a I've had a, a quartet when I was living in California, a quartet with uh, Vinnie Golia and uh, Steve Adams and um, Billy Mintz on drums, and I, I've always kind of enjoyed the um, two horn, bass and drum. Format primarily because, it, it, because without the piano or without a piano or guitar or a vibraphone, you you're freer from the vertical structure, and, and you and I'm, I, it allowed me to to move up and down through the ranks. Uh, and I also like the the, the the spareness of the texture when required, and also the fullness with the whole the whole the horns and the bowed bass and the pizzicato bass and everything. And I never liked. The idea of having a drummer where the bass and drum have to be a rhythm section where we're doing what a metronome would do. I say, right. leave that to Franz. Thank you very much. Uh, for those of those who don't think, no, Franz metronomes, they're very, they're, 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 they're worldwide. But I feel like we, once we understand the pulse, we need the flow of life and the flow of eating. I mean, just the flow of the past three and a half hours yeah. that we had. It's a flow. We, did, we didn't need a metronome, right? We didn't need anyone to tell us anything. As right. a matter of fact, I put the timer on for a couple of things, and you know what? We ignored the timer. Right. So, so this is this. So that's how the this 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 kind of uh, thing came about, and it's not a new concept. I mean, Dave Holland had that had that concept. Sure, you know, it's it's you know, uh, Jerry Mulligan had the concept. So, nothing ground groundbreaking there. But I just did it, and then for this particular one with quantum entanglements here in the East Coast, it was kind of kind of came together over a period of time. I I I, I love Michael Latias' playing, and then I love always love Tony's playing, and when I got the opportunity to do some gigs, you know, I, and I have to say. Michael Latias said, "Man, come on, get us get some gigs, write some music for this, right?" I said, oh, "Okay, and thank you, Michael." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I did that. And TA Tom Michael Tom, Tom Thompson, I heard I'm, I heard him on a re- when I was in Portugal, and I said, "Who's that guy?" And they told me, "Oh man, I said I got to play with him." And then within a year, it just evolved. But I, I was too shy to call him, and he, he just right. it just evolved. And so it seems like a natural, it seemed like a natural thing. So as we were playing, we did a couple of gigs. And I started writing some music for the group just because I was hearing it. They were stimulating my ear to hear it. And then, uh, it just kind of came when all of a sudden, like I said, well, I guess I'll get off my duff and just record it because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good project, a good group. We don't play a lot because I'm a lousy leader. <laughs> I mean, I'm still coming to grips with that, with those, with, with that idea. But so, you know, 25 years or so, I've been a sideman collaborator. So learning, this is a new thing for me about how to be a leader without, without being, without somebody else's being side by side with them. So it's a new thing and I'm kind of lame at it. (laughs) But I'm, I'm working, I'm working on it. When the four of you got together before you had written the music for the ensemble, what, what were you playing? Uh, Some other music that I had, had written that was written for other, other ensembles. And I, this, the music that's on here was written because these guys were stimulating this stuff and uh, these ideas.
So are there uh, kind of in the, the the classic like cliche Ellington cliche sense that he wrote for all the specific guys in the band based on their strengths? Is that I don't a thing I don't like write like I don't so write like that. I, I the concept becomes like oh here's a concept of what these guys can do. Sure, but I I kind of feel like I can't write for specifically for a person because I feel like if I'm doing that I'm 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 putting words in their mouth, and so therefore I could be misrepresenting them. Rather, so therefore, ra- rather than do that, I I feel how the how the group is going. I feel how the flow of of all the people are going. I said, like, I can write this, so I just imagine music that's going to happen, and then in the rehearsal we will figure out a if it works. When it if it does work, which I have to say, not to tip myself on the back, but usually by the time I get through the uh, the existential angst of writing the music, it kind of <laughs> it kind of it, it does work to, it, on a musical level. Sure. So then we kind of like say, okay, well, who wants to solo, and what, what areas will make sense for everybody to solo? And I always say, look, he, he, feel free to go into any register that you want. If I've written it in a, in, a, in this register, I don't necessarily have to. We can try it there. But if you, in the moment of performance, maybe tonight you feel it in this register, but maybe tomorrow you may feel it. You can, you, your technique can do this. Play, play it up there. You know, I don't care. It's all as long as we're in agreement of creating this environment. Sure. So I'm looking at more of how the group work. Once the music is written, how the group works together in the, um, the, uh, the flux flow. Yeah. Is there a word like that? Flux? Yeah, there is now. Yeah. The flux flow of, of the at the moment. So each each time we play it, theoretically, uh, in my in my ideal world, will be will be different. The material will be recognizable, but it'll be different. It'll manifest in a different way. Yeah. And so when we hear this record, can you talk a little bit about the balance of composition and freedom that exists in the ah, music? Okay. Well, the the balance is fifty fifty. No, is it seventy thirty? Is it thirty seventy? Is it sixty forty? I can't. I can't talk about it. Sure. The reason being, when we went into this recording, I put a limitation. I said, you know what? We can't do. Like how many? Oh, there are seven pieces on this recording. Right. We won't do seven pieces in a concert. We're gonna do. We may do four. We may do four pieces and let each area exp- expand itself. And we don't know where it's going to go. I don't know where. I mean, they'll watch me. I'll kind of give signals, you know. And maybe they'll choose to do something that they feel more. And I say, damn, knock yourself out. That's that this is. So on this one, I realized that they were seven pieces, and I want to want to get the seven pieces. And I realized that, like you know, I know it's going to sound silly. Any of you out there, you can laugh as much as you want <laughs> who know me. I said, you know, I wanted the seven pieces to be on there. And we'll we'll keep it within a time frame. So what I did was I kind of. I did grit out. I mean, this is my 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 OCD kind of thing. <laughs> I gritted out, and I'm going to make sure that everyone got a certain area of exposed soloings. So sure. we, we each person had a everybody had their, had an area, so that I felt everyone was rep- represented and felt free in there to to solo in there. So this the so the recording itself was kind of fifty fifty, in the sense that we were playing the music, we. Uh, we recorded it, and we 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 had I had certain things about what how many how many areas which areas everybody sold it on, and that was it. And as a matter of fact, I won't say what pieces on this, but one of the pieces that we recorded that's on here was composed one way, was completely screwed up in the recording, right? I went back and listened to it, and we just decided to leave it. I went back and listened to it, and I thought that the screw-up was so much better than what I wrote. I rewrote the whole thing to to, to, to reflect the screw-up. No kidding. Yeah, because it was better than what I wrote. So, man, well, I'm, come on. You're going to say, am I going to say, yeah, I want something that sounds like shit? Right. No, man, they played it better. I'm, I rewrote it, man. That is, that, that's just the chart now. That's you know? great. So, so that's what I'm saying, 50-50, because it was kind of to get it on a disc. 
But in performance, we'll probably do only five, four pieces. For instance, I was in Villach for the Simfest, um, and I got a chance to write some music uh, you know, the, uh, under my name and me and Kenny Wessel. It was Kenny Wessel and um, uh, Avram Pfeffer, Herb Robertson, and V.J. Anderson, a young drummer from uh, California. So I wrote a three-part suite, and that was 70 minutes of music. And so there was three pieces that was, that was in the suite. Like this, that was 70 minutes. So, you know, it's, so seven, 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 so you see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's where the free, that's where we let the freedom and the music and the written kind of blend together because I don't want, I really don't want anyone to say, oh, that's written now and this is free. It should be, it should be so unified that it's like, oh, it's freely written or it's written freely or it's, uh, just freely music or it's just, <laughs> hey, just music. Yeah. You said before you used the word environment that, uh, you felt that people could, people were free to, you know, take it up an octave or whatever, as long as we all kind of agree on this environment. Right. Can you, can you say a little more about the environment and also about how you helped create it, uh, both in performance and in the recording studio? Well, I, I, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I helped create it. However, I think I may be facilitated by being a bass player that, that sometimes will not do what's expected of a bass player. Okay. But the environment, what I, what I kind of feel like the environment is like, like, how to separate music from life. Can we? Uh, I think this is where I, I fall short in the business realm because I can't. The music saved my life and life saves my music. Well, it's not even my music. I, I, I take the, life saves music and music saves life. I, let's take my out of it right sure. now, okay? Because this, uh, I, I don't want to own that crap. Right. <laughs> okay? But, but you, it, the environment is something, something which is constantly flowing. It's so like you and I get get to meet. We've met a while back, and and our you know our our repartee has organically just just inv- in, grown. So in the same thing with music, I think it has to be you know once you, the people are all we're all trusting that we're in a safe environment, that anybody's choices. If you make a mistake, it's a mistake that can be easily fixed. Because someone else comes up, oh, no trouble, man. Here, check this out. So I, I that's the kind of environment environment I try to create in the sense where everyone feels totally. I facilitate everyone feels totally free and open to do who and what they are. All I give them is a, a set of lines, a set of musical notes that once when, when that the, the, we're all in, we're all in agreement about this. This is our common denominator. Sure. Then everyone can go off and, and take it to their subjective world. Does that require you to be careful about who you select to bring into that environment? Actually. I would say yes, and I would say no. On an idealistic level, I would say no, because everyone wants to be in this environment. Right. But I think that some people will get overwhelmed by that, because they want to be... And I only found this out just recently, that in in a situation where I was doing something not related to this group and not related to V, like to something else, and the the people actually wanted to be told what to do, and I was... Inside, I, externally, they would never have known what I was saying, but extern, internally, I was saying, what the fuck? I'm, I'm saying be free, bro. Right. <laughs> you know, and I realized that they needed, a, they needed a whole, they needed a gilded invitation to be free. So I'm starting to think about that, that maybe what my dream is, is a little bit, uh, fantastical. I like that. Yeah. So I think, so I, so I think there's a both a yes and a no answer to that. Did that answer the? No, yeah, definitely. Um, in the case of all three of these people, since you were, since you were comfortable with them as players, yeah. I guess you had an expectation that they'd be able to fit into this world you were creating. Right? I don't even think I don't, I, I don't mean to, to to be a nitpick on words, but no, I, please. I, I don't even think there was that, that. I don't even say that expectation even existed for me to even think about it. Okay, 
I just was happy that they were. I made the because to be quite honest, we were talking earlier about shyness, right? I was a little too. Shy. If it wasn't for Michael Latias urging me to to kind of to do this, I was too shy. I was saying, well, and people don't, yeah, blah, 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 you know, all the stupid neurotic stuff that comes in. So Atias, man, really kind of got me into it. So, and I've been, every time I play with these guys, I'm totally thrilled. You know, yeah. so I don't think, I, I think of any expectation, I'm more freaked out by my expectation that nothing will work. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's only by my own inexperience as being a point person. Sure. You know, so. Yeah, fair enough. You know, so I, I you know, I'm, and I'm. No, I was. I didn't really feel that at all with this good. I just felt like, yeah, here's the stuff, man. You're playing it, man. I'm so grateful, man. Thanks, bro. In these compositions, uh, given that you had this uh, desire to fit all seven pieces on, and so right. I think the longest one's like eight and a half minutes or right. nine minutes, something like that. Um, when you play these things live, is, do you, is that when you get the chance to explore where else they could go besides well, where they went? When we play them live, we get a chance to explore. In a, in, a, in a longer in a longer pattern. Now, this interesting thing it's not just to fitting it on the re, on the recording disc live. Um, I think there is. I'll remove. I think there is something about um, a live performance, the organic energy that goes in a live compared to a to a recorded performance. And I and I do know that people's concentration. Listeners' concentrations have got have gotten shorter, you know. So and and I know I can sit and listen to you know the trains Love Supreme and and man both sides and just sit back and, and I can do that. And there are some people who just can't. Yeah, who just can't. So that that I have to say that was an awareness of mine, an awareness of it's a three way street. It's the musicians, it's the format, whether it be live performance or recorded performance and the audience so i was taking into consideration that also the three ways the three-way street like here we're, we're presenting this for a for a, a, a limited medium right so i i have to say that i don't feel that we that we shortened this down we didn't make a reader's digest version this is uh, if if i felt that we had made a reader's digest version i wouldn't have put it out i wouldn't have even presented it to any label I would have said, "No, forget about it." It felt it felt real for this moment. We, we all understood this. We all understood the embryo, the the embryonic sac that we were in. Now, in a live performance, we have the ability because the audience that, that we're in this moment together. So, therefore, you re, we, we can read as performers. We can we can read the dynamic, the energy that's coming back from the audience. From the so, therefore, if the audience is ready for like a twenty-five minute set, I mean, we're going to play twenty-five minutes. Because we're going to be following that feeling. If they're only ready for three minutes and a half, we're going to only give them three minutes and a half. Because, and I, I trust that with these guys and you know, you know, the, of this caliber. Yeah. So I, I really kind of, I don't know if that makes it, if that clarifies it. That wasn't one was shorter because we made it short. We just respect respect to the medium, the medium of it. Whereas a live performance can allow, you know, a live performance can allow so many more mistakes to occur, and be accepted because it's just part of the, the part of the, the part of the flow. Whereas the same mistake, let's say that wouldn't that wouldn't be on that that would be on a recording, you can't have it because it's going to be repeatedly play it over and over right. again. <laughs> yeah, I find that I ask this question a lot, uh, which is: do you, is there something about having to say what you're saying in a shorter period of time that changes the nature of what you say? So, is for example, putting limitations on yourself, whether they, whether they be time or whether you have a 12-tone row where you have to play all these pitches before you can play the one on pitch again, sometimes it seems like people find extra kinds of freedom inside those 
self-imposed oh, limitations. Oh, absolutely. Like the, like, the, like, the, like the poetry haiku. Right. I, I totally agree with that. So I don't, that's why I don't shirk away from that. But I think there are some times when a, when a message can't be said shorter, in which case then you have to pay respect and say, I can't do it. Right. Simply, I can't do it. You know, so I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think there's a really cut, like a cut, uh, a cut and pat, pat and cut, cut and pat, what's the, cut what's and the, paste, cut and paste yeah. method, answer to that question. I think you have to, you have to try it. And if it doesn't work, then say, no, can't yeah. do it. My friend Josh would know who said this, but, uh, the, the famous saying about, I had to, this letter is so long because I didn't have time to write you a short one. You know, that whole thing about, <laughs> <laughs> I like that, I like, I like that. that phrase a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've seen you in uh, a bunch of different contexts, um, and we were talking earlier about your deciding to play whatever was in service of the music yeah. at that moment. Uh, does being in a lot of different contexts is it is it a, a happy thing for you, a joyous thing for you to to find yourself surrounded by different musicians, different groupings, different styles of music on a frequent basis? Yes. If I if I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't do it. I have to be honest with yeah. you. You know, I find that because it it, it actually feeds my heart and soul uh, in a lot of ways, and also I'm a really aware that music, which expresses to uh, to people, you know, we we share it with other people. Certain people, there are certain bits of music that can be shared by certain people that can't be shared by others, and so therefore, for me being involved in music that I love, people that I respect who are creating this that I'm involved with. I'm actually able to feel like I'm able to be part of this joyousness in a number of different areas in life. So I, yeah, I, I have to do it. And if I didn't want to do it, I wouldn't do it I, because I can't be I can't be dishonest about it. Yeah, I would say no, I can't really do it. Thank you very much. We were talking earlier, and I actually stopped us from talking about it because I wanted to ask you during this interview. You were telling me how in college you were studying trumpet up until right before your recital, and you realized that bass was what you needed to play. And I'd like to hear more about that story and uh, how you realized it. Yes. Well, that one. Okay, so I'm in school, and I have to get a, a mouth operation first, impacted wisdom teeth. My father says, look, you're, when you graduate, it won't be on my insurance. Let's do it now before you... I said, okay, fine. So I get it done. I have to go into the hospital because they were like, they were like growing downwards. They have to drill into the bone and all this crap, you know. So, so I'm, I'm, I have my, my tooth, well, my mouth wired up, right? So I go in. And, uh, so I can't practice at all. And once I get out, I can't practice. My mouth is wired up. I'm drinking soup and all that, you know, you know stuff. 
And I go to, you know, it's, I, I just, you know, I'm playing, I'm studying, you know, pretty much classical trumpet. Okay. You know, but we had, there was a jazz group there, you know, through the years, so I, we always played in the jazz group. And um, some friends of mine were doing a session, and I just kind of walked in because, you know, we're going to hang out, go out, you know, later, you know, drink, get high, whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and there's a bass in the corner. There was no bass player there. So I kind of just walked over to it and picked it up. I don't know what, I have no, to this day, I have no idea what made me think about going to pick it up. I just, just picked it up, man. An upright bass or an upright bass? We're sitting in the corner, and I started playing. And it happened to be in the same—you know—I I don't know what, but it was in the same key that they were doing. It was—it was some kind of like you know—I uh, think it was a. But it didn't it beat up? But he so why? So right. you know that's what it was, you know. But there was no bass. So I started playing. So, so we, we continued playing, and the cats. So at the end, they go, "Man, I, hey man, I, I didn't know you played bass." And I go, "I don't." <laughs> <laughs> but at that, when I was playing, I just said, "This is." This is the place for me. This is the place. Now, you see, kind of one of the things, I never enjoyed playing with any bass player. <laughs> Before. Because usually, Cut out the middle man and yeah, become the bass player. Because, yeah, well, I never thought about I only think of, thought about this after with the fact, right? But I really, I, I, I'm not sure how to tell it, because it's, it's, it's a pretty dense thing. Because the first thing, I never thought about it. What more I thought was, man, I love this. This is so much better than trumpet. And I wrestled with it, you know, for like, this was uh, I was graduating in June. This was April, and I, I I had all of April to think about it, right? And I decided to quit. Just, and I thought about it, thought about it, thought about it, you know. And you'll appreciate this for the the poetry of it. And some people think I'm you know I'm kind of literally, but there was actually this beautiful cemetery in Syracuse, and I went there, and it wanted to be at this particular period of time. There was a period of time where there was like a full moon that was setting, that was that was rising rather. Um, uh, f- in full, in, like it was red. So for three nights, I actually watched the full moon rise over the cemetery. The cemetery was on the on the ecliptic. It was it was a per- it was a perfect. I mean, if I if I wanted to create a, a kind of phantasmical story, I could say this is this is what it was. Right. But it was on this ecliptic, so I could watch it actually from the entrance of the cemetery. So I watched it for three days, and I finally said, "That's it. I got to play the bass. I don't know why I'm doing this, but." It's the only thing that feels true to me. Everything else is totally ridiculous. So, of course, my trumpet teacher, I told him, he says, Ah, you bastard. You said, you're just afraid of practicing. He said, get out of here. You know, you're, you're you know, right? The, the dean said, well, you know, you, you just graduate and just didn't. I said, no, I can't. It's, I can't. My, my parents said, yeah, what are you doing, my hair? And I said, I can't. It's not being honest. I can't do that. I cannot. So I just said, I cut myself off from everybody. I said, that's it. I, I bolted and I went, found an apartment. Just, rah, just stay there. You know, and I just practiced. I snuck into the school, practiced with the bass. I just was digging it. You know, and the, uh, and it took me a year to find, a year and a half to find my teacher who refused to, uh, in Syracuse, who refused to teach me. <laughs> he said, you're too old, you're too full of crap. You know, he was a junkie, speed freak junkie, right? Alcoholic. And I'm full of, I'm full of baggage, <laughs> right. right? But he played unbelievable. Unbel- he was just a really, uh, an unbelievable cat. So I just knew that he was the guy that, because he played classical, he played with the bow, he played, you know, jazz. He just was a great musician, a great musician, psychotic, but a great musician. Anyway, did you that, even have a bass at this time? No, I kind of went to the school together because I didn't have a bass. I yeah. went to the bookstore to to, to to get the money to to buy a bass. Right, and I find, and I and I finally found a bass. You know, blah, 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 and I found it in some you know a bass for sale. You know, or a K bass for one hundred and fifty dollars. Right <laughs> now it's a K bass for five fifteen thousand. Oh, right. You know, now. <laughs> But in, in the meantime, when I think about it, I really didn't like playing with other bass players. You see, you the, the, they were either usually just keeping the beat, you know, which is, and certain parts of music were fine. But if you're trying to express something, uh, you know, any great bass players I was listening to, right, 
They were keeping a beat, but they weren't keeping the beat. Right. They were being expressive in the beat. And I didn't need that crap. You know, so I, I would say, I'd rather play without you than play with somebody. Or somebody who's going to give me just root and five in, a, in, a, in the changes. I, I'm sorry, man, I need a melody underneath there. You know, yeah. so that was so to some degree, I probably was following some unspoken need that I had, you know, for the for the whole for the whole thing. So that's kind of what I did. And, you know, and I just been my trajectory. I've never looked back. You know, I didn't know how I was going to going to do it, but I just did it. I just figured, well, one step in time forward. Right. That's that was what it was. I want people to hear um, kind of more of the continuation of that story. But but uh I've had a, heard other people say on this show that who have done instrument switches that uh, part of part of it was they felt like they played alto and switched to tenor or berry that they always heard things lower and so they finally got an instrument that was down where they were actually hearing things all that time you were playing trumpet were you thinking like eh, I don't really I'm not no, hearing this or, no. no as a matter of fact when I sing and Andrea kind of, kind of cracks her up if I sing something I'm always singing in falsetto because I can't sing down I can't sing down low in the bass and my students you know you know, or myself you know, when I'm, if I'm singing I'm always singing right. it's like I can't, I can't I don't have a low voice yeah I sing, I sing high. So it's not, that's not it. It's just, I think it was more of a, uh, something else. I don't even know what it was. So you got an apartment, you worked in a bookstore to save up the money to buy a base, and here we are some number of years later with, you know, thousands of shows and <laughs> dozens of recordings under your belt. Can you can you give us some some idea about when you decided, okay, I'm gonna play the bass, what you did? That was that was it. What I did. I mean, how did you create a life as a bass player? In other words, um, I know that's hard to summarize. But. Well, it's actually kind of goes back to a little bit what we were talking about at the at the dinner table outside, and you know, before. I, if I think about it too much, I, I I'll freak out. Yeah. As I think, I, so actually, okay, a little bit of a psychological uh, uh, awareness. On some hand, I th- I realized that I've had a blessed life. On another hand, I think, oh, man, I haven't accomplished anything yet. What am I? I'm still, I'm still a beginner, you know. So there's always this this, yeah. this ambivalence. But I think ultimately, I've been blessed by always being surrounded by blessed people. Psychotics, some of them, you know, you know, drive, drive me crazy, and I drove them crazy. Sure. When I say psychotic, I mean I'm being poetic and funny. Yeah. But you know, people, you know, that. But I've always been in good company. You know, I've always had good people around me, good, you know, good. And, and I've also also been determined, you know, to, like, learn something. Whether someone likes what I've learned or not, to learn something what I, that I think is the truth. And if, and if I feel like I've learned something and it's not the truth, I'll find I'll figure, truth, musical truth. Yeah. Then I'll, I'll, I'll do that. But I think I was, I was blessed with that, a bit of tenacity. And also the economy, I probably, I may not be able to do that now in the economy the way the world is now. Whereas the economy then in, in like what, 75, 76, 1975, was, it was a little bit easier to accomplish that and to, and to be able to step to the side. Now there's not too many places to, like look, in New York, how many places can you step to? You're going to get $500 rent. Right. 
You can't do that. So if you decide to do that, every place is is like you know even a, even a hovel, you know a complete dis- dis- disaster is is like a thousand dollars. Yeah. So now it's a completely different time. So I think I was kind of blessed with that having that time. Rather than a question that is esoteric in nature, to talk about it in a practical level, you you went from someone who was about to have a four year degree to someone who was like literally working in retail. To right. save up the money to buy a base. Right. Somewhere in between there and now, you oh. actually like started playing some gigs. Oh, oh, I, oh. I was asking an esoteric question before, and now okay. I'm asking. Okay. A the, pr- one. the practical part. The practical part is, I'm a stubborn Italian guy. I'm Italian American, <laughs> right? So I'm just going to decide to do it on my terms. Right? I'm just going to do it, and if you don't like it, forget about it, right? You know. As I say. So the dean of the school actually saw me playing someplace on the campus. He goes, "Oh, you're serious." I said. Hello. <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm serious. This is a serious heart attack. So he said, well, come talk to me. And so I went to talk to him, right? And he cut a deal with saying, okay, you can study bass and however long it takes you to do, a two, to do two recitals because you've done all your other work, then you can get your degree in the bass. I said, okay, but I won't study with the bass teacher you have teaching here. You know, I, I want to study with blah, blah, blah. You know, his, guy, his name is Stuart Wheeler. Okay. So um, he goes, well, he's not, he doesn't teach here. I said, well, I know. So therefore, I can't, I can't go back, can't take you up on it. He goes, well, it, I'll make this deal with you. You can stay with him until you graduate, but he will not stay on, on faculty once you're graduate. I said, I said okay, that's, that's fine. So I, got, I did that, did that way, right? So then from that moment, so each time I made sure that I was always determined to, to study, to, uh, you know, to make my, you know, to, 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 to um, I couldn't determine what gigs I got, but in other words, I wound up starting to get certain gigs and okay. things started coming my way. So, yeah, I was able to balance that off and, you know, live like that. Sure. You know, and then, you know, then the word of mouth starts. So that, that, that's the practical part. But it's still, even though it's practical, it's still esoteric because how do you get your name out? Yeah. You know, there's a million, there's a million people and half a million gigs. You know, so that's, you know, that's when you have to say you're blessed and that's why I don't think about it because when you think about it too much, the blessing goes bye-bye. Right. <laughs> when did you move out to the West Coast? I'm, I'm from Syracuse. I moved to Boston and New Hampshire area. Okay. And lived there. I moved to the West Coast or, uh, to Los Angeles in 81, 80, 81, yeah. 80, okay. And, 81. and then you came back east? 95. 95, okay. Yeah. And uh, a, a couple of people recently that I've, that I've spoken to have had that kind of bi-coastal career. D- do you see a lot of difference between the, the experiences you had out on the West in terms of the musical community and the kind of music you played versus what's happened since you've been back here on the east yeah i do i do um the the difference there are a lot of differences i think the west coast at least from my experience because some people uh, some people like when i hear my experience they go what right i don't know i had a i had a very rich life there right and again this is where i'm kind of blessed because i did a lot of recordings and um you know for you know for like not top not like not top grade movies but you know did recordings for you know you know mid mid-range movies okay. you know industrials and stuff like that and i worked in about five different orchestras you know so that was wow. and I, I played a lot of uh, uh you know a lot of uh, straight ahead jazz and i also did a lot of free stuff and um i just had a rich life and i was re- I, 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 what can i say i felt like that you know, that was i was in paradise i mean i you know but I couldn't get, you know, we didn't have too many, we couldn't get to, in, on the West Coast, you can't get to Europe too much. Sure. Right? That was, that was a bit, but you can get, you can travel a lot in, in, in the United States. And so there was, but there was a lot of music being made, you know? So the, I think the difference is when I moved back to New York, the, the difference became more like, well, in LA, it was, it didn't matter whether you were playing what style. 
if you're playing straight ahead or you're playing classical, what mattered was are you are you good for this? Uh, are you, in this situation, are you playing the music that's required? Okay. If you are, I don't care what what other crazy stuff you're doing because that's part of making a musician as a life. So they didn't think about it. Here in New York, there seems to be, uh, you know, there seemed seems to be a, a kind of a, um, you know, bo- a boxiness. You know, I, I won't say it's, I'm not saying 100, percent but it seems to be like, well, you're either in this camp or you're in this camp, and there seems to be more camps, which kind of is kind of because when I was when I was thinking about New York in the in the 70s and the in, in in the early 80s before I moved to the West Coast, that wasn't. It seemed to be like people were doing everything. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to be that way now. Even though people can do everything, I'm just saying that it seems to be more of a kind of a campy thing, and I don't, I don't understand that. But I don't ask the question. I'm just I'm 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 my own camp. Yeah. <laughs> so therefore, is it a benefit to you? Do you think that you had the experiences in that order that you went from a place where you played and you became facile at playing many different kinds of music, and then came here so that you already knew. Like I can, I think I, I think, I think so. I, I think yeah. so. I think so. And part of the thing was that, like when I played a lot of different different styles of music, it's because I like them. They, yeah. they, they they intrigue me, you know, and they intrigue me because they were they were an expression. Let's say like to be able to play something where like all of a sudden just one note sounds great, and then like another situation that one note would sound stupid, so you had to play a million notes. I'm speaking poetically now, right, okay. Yeah. So that we, you know, but I'm saying that there, I like that ability to have to have this and not be stuck in one thing every day. You know, every time I play music. Yeah. So I like I like that aspect, and that was kind of a positive aspect of, the, of California and Los Angeles at the time I was out there. And there were so many great players on, that I play with in so many different scenes. You know, whereas out and so out here now, it, I, I think it, I've already learned that. So now it's I can I can use it when it when it comes up in the right in the right situation. Sure. When did you start to use effects with your with your bass? I started thinking about it in 1982. And um, we, we were talking earlier today about shyness and you know, inter- and, you know, and, and 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 the idea of working things out in your head. So I started. Th- I've started thinking about it since 1982, and just have let it evolve, evolve because it, it's it's not been a, a, a situation for me where I kind of want to use effects in order to. Like I don't like to do pre loops. I don't like to do pre programmed anything. I don't, it's not. That's not what I'm about. It's about using material that's happening right now, and it kind of goes back to a dream I had. 19, in Syracuse in 1977, probably around March or April 1977. My first wife at the time, she was a, she was a pianist and a harpsichordist, and, and I had been going to her piano her piano master classes at eight o'clock in the morning, <laughs> right? But uh, the guy who had great master classes, and we were the, I had been listening a lot to um, um, the um, the Bach partitas and fugues, and I had a dream where. In the dream, I had been walking down the street uh, outside of Thornton Park, and out, uh, outside of my shoulders had come like 17 hands, uh, all playing the bass, and it was one big bass neck, right? And it was like a counterpoint. And uh, and that dream made me, I realized at that point, I said, that's what I want to play. That's, that's what I'm hearing on the bass. Like, like, you know, so I started realizing I can't do that, because if I do that, I'm trying to play too many notes, and it's going to drive everybody crazy. So I started noticing that I can do, do do different looping effects, but not predetermined loops, but just right. loops. So I started playing around with that, with that, the idea of how to create, like, because I'm also thinking as as an improviser, I'm also thinking. Some people will think I'm nuts. Some people will will take me, you know, say, well, you, you can't you're using two terms too loosely. But I think of myself as a composer at the same time, but a composer in present tense time, not a composer in composer time. 
So when we're improvising, I'm thinking of compositionally as well in the sense of like, oh, this piece, this bit of information may work over here. Right. So I'll hold on to that. And, you know, so as, as, as using, using effects, we'll create these ideas, these kind of um, compositional ideas or orchestrational ideas. But wouldn't it sound great if there were 20 basses playing this? So I think about that. Yeah. So I started playing around that. That's been an ongoing thing. And every box, I've, every little stomp box I've bought since, uh, since 1991, uh, I've always sent back because they, now they're predetermined now. And I don't want, I don't want predetermined. So I'm looking for old, old stuff all the time. Right. last time i think the last time i was at 55 bar and saw you and i've seen you since then but uh i was sitting next to someone i didn't know just at those the little round tables they have in there and uh like midway through i think it was with faye victor midway through one of the tunes that person finally leaned over to me and said is is the bass player doing something to make it sound like there's more than one bass <laughs> <laughs> I said, I said yes. He's using some effects pedals, so there's actually a thing that's going on, and then he's also playing on top of the thing that he just played. And she said, "Oh, good," because I couldn't figure out where that sound was coming from. Yeah, that's that's, that's also, but that's also part of like the, the the joy of live performance. Yeah, you know. Well, the thing I thought that was telling about the, it's also just funny, but the thing I thought was cool about it was that it was. It was organic enough that it had been going on for a while at that point in the tune. I, I mean, it wasn't like some huge extended loopy thing, but I mean, but it had been happening for, you know, half a minute or a minute or something. And then after a while, after her brain was able to process all of the auditory input, she realized, I'm actually hearing more people than I can see. But that's organic. Right now. That's organic. Yeah, yeah, and that's organic too. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's not. It's not effects for effects sake. Well, that's it's what I'm saying. For the music sake. That, that, that's what I'm saying. So I'm, whatever material that, that you're hearing at that particular moment is derived from this this moment. It's not predetermined by something I said. Well, you know what? I love the way this sounds. At you know, it's whatever beat it is. So I'm going to keep this in there. And oh, I'll go to file 17.7 right now because it's going to fit. I can't. I, I can't think like that. There are guys who can, and there are guys who can't, and and do it artistically. And I'm not saying one or the other. I'm just saying for me, I can't do that. Sure. I, I, my brain just does not work like that. So I really need the, this organic thing that has to be right from here. Given that you are not just well, – actually, you can explain to me how it works. Is there something that's recording – that the sound is passing through constantly so that when you hear like the last three seconds were good, you can capture those? Like how do you actually capture something that's passed? Well, it's, it's the, the way the circuit is going. It's going th all the way through, okay. right? And so I'll be playing. So I say, I, I might say, well, then, this, this might be cool to kind of like let's just see how it works like an experiment. Right? It's not going to explode, right? Right. So let's just see how it works. And I, I kind of I'll tap, you know, I'll hit the pedal, catch, capture it, and then stop it. So then okay. I cut it, and then we'll see how it works. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes in um, if I'm doing a solo, a, per, a pure solo thing or something that's that's required, or doing a solo concert, sometimes I'll do something where I'll, I'll have the volume pedal off. I'll start doing something as a solo, right? And I'll put the loop on, you know, like I'll put the thing on, and I have no idea what it's, what, it's good, what it's catching or not. And then when I put the volume pedal up, 
Whoa, there's there's something, and then right. I'll deal with that, and that's like bringing another person in. That's amazing. So all of a sudden, I, I have no idea who this is. This is another person. Now we've got a whole other thing. <laughs> right. Welcome to the crowd. <laughs> so <laughs> that's great. <laughs> You said were kind enough to send me, uh, and am I sent? Is it pronounced just like it looks, subveneer? Subveneer, yeah, which okay. is not bad. Some people have some one one reviewer had uh, reviewer had said it was bad French. No, it's Latin. It's not French. Okay, subveneer, the hole beneath, okay. which is where souvenir comes from. Oh, no kidding! Yeah, right. that's, that, I was just, I was going to call it souvenirs, but then when I was doing research on the word on the words where souvenir comes from, subveneer, which is be, to hold beneath. But to go underneath. I'm going to toss out the question about solo bass I was just going to ask because the thing you just said uh, brings up something that has just been occurring to me over and over again this afternoon, which is how well-read and multifaceted your brain is, your (laughs) intellect. And I don't just say that. I mean, I, I like you and everything, and uh, I think we're you know we're becoming friends. And you just cooked me this great meal. But I mean, just just purely from a, a an objective analytical point of view, you've made so many references in the last four hours to things not only beyond the world of music, but but way beyond what you can just pick up by moving through the world in a fairly standard way, things that really belie research into a variety of topics um, in a way that made me feel like you must spend a lot of your time in these like little esoteric <laughs> paths where you're learning a lot about some really precise subject because you bring up stuff out of the middle of nowhere. Like, what, how could you possibly know something about that and at that level of depth? So, I mean, do you... How do you know those things? I mean, do you spend a ton of time reading and, and investigating and curiosity, digging in? Curiosity. Yeah. Curiosity. You know, I like, you know, as a kid, I've, I've been reading for a long time. But also, I mean, my family, my brothers and sister, and my, my, I think my father kind of, kind of promoted that, that, that curiosity. You know, in his, later, in his later days, sorry, Poppy, I have to say this. In his later days, he got kind of deep into the, into the Fox News thing. Right. <laughs> you know? And, that, you know, but, in, you know, up until probably about his 70s, I mean, 60s or 70s, he, you know, he was always about curiosity, always, you know, curious about stuff. So we were always, we were raised with curiosity. You know, and curiosity kills the cattle, makes you stronger. Yeah. So, you know, so like like my brother who's in medicine, and my other brother who's a writer, and my sister who's in you know social work. We're we're always it's it, we're always exploring not just what's in front of our face, but what, the the little byways. That's what gets me so pissed off about life now, where there are no byways. If a person chooses, you know what, I'm going to live for less and live and choose to to, to like I chose to play the bass, you know, and I, and and I was 22 years old. By 22 years old, when I you know when I was playing bass, most people have had their career started already. I was starting from nothing. I had the ability because I could step to the byway. There's no byways left anymore these days. So. At a curious, so I use that as an example because at a curiosity, you know, if, if I'm interested in one topic, I'll always, also look at the byways, and I'll take the time to do that. Of course, then, then of course, if I don't answer my email or don't answer my <laughs> telephone calls, it's because I'm on the other byways. And sorry, guys, but right. uh, <laughs> but that's I think that's what that, that, that that's really what it is. Because curiosity will take me that way. Is is the same true for you in music? In your oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
You know, that's why I'm 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 always curious about you know all kinds of music, even if it's something that uh, that I won't be I won't be playing or that doesn't fast you know facility like uh, it won't, it's not part of my life. But if it's if it touches me, and especially when I started teaching, the uh, the idea of my, myself being really knowing other other bits of music, like for instance, I was teaching at USC when I was doing a graduate degree there, and I didn't I didn't get it, but the year I was doing I didn't finish because I moved to another school. But we, I was trying to teach the stop time, and I was showing them all kind of stop time. You know, it was like jazz for you know non music majors. Right. Tell people what stop time is. Oh, stop time is when you go ba da ba da but a pop, but a pop. Okay. But a pop. You know, so people weren't really understanding what that was, and I would play them all these examples. I remember sitting at home, and I had MTV on, and In Excess had a had a piece out in the eighties, and it was a stop time scene. I go, that's it. So I went up until I saw it again, and I recorded it on my little recorder. So and that's when I brought it into stop time. I said, here's check out stop time. So I played it for you know what, what, some stuff I had from Ellington and from New York. And they go, I don't understand, Mister Phil. I said, now check this out. And I played the Minnesota. Oh, that's what stop time is. And boom, from that moment on, I was I was in. I was realizing that a concept has to have con- context, not just information, but context. So therefore, musically, I'm always looking in byways that music that I wouldn't necessarily listen to, but has to have context because I want to keep current not to be hip but just to be because i i can't be hip i'm too old right. <laughs> <laughs> i'm only kidding i'm only kidding but you no know, but, but to have context to understand the context sure so that's what so if you don't look through the byways you're never going to do it. like you know like i knew old guys who you know old beboppers and i you know who were great musicians and you know they'd be so crabby they say man i forgot mostly what these cats even i forget more than what these guys know and i would say but, but yeah but check this, the byway out so that's my curiosity. It always goes, takes me there, but it takes it takes some time. Yeah, <laughs> so you know, and I love to read. Yeah, you know, I love to read. You told me earlier that your uh, your father and your, your parents, but uh, it sounded like particularly your father was always uh, really focused on you four kids using your brains and oh yeah, yeah. And absolutely yeah really developing your intellects yeah and it sounds like that's something that stood you in pretty good stead yeah well, over dep- the years. well it depends sometimes my my brain's a little too too uh, is a little too f- f- flexy goosey yeah <laughs> but some people say man what are you going with that now man. You know, and sometimes uh, it's uh, sometimes I miss the point. I, 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 you know, but hopefully I get back to it at some point. Yeah, if I miss some points. But yeah, no, I, I think we, I think my, he was, he was cool with that. Uh, of your the four your four siblings, you just listed all their jobs, and you have the the kind of least traditional job of the <laughs> yeah. of the four of them. Uh, what what was that like inside your family when 
you wanted to be a musician? Tough. Yeah. It was a little tough. A little, little tough. But, uh, you know, it's a uh, um, little tough. But I just ignored it. Yeah. Because if, if, I, if I paid attention to it, it would have gotten in my way. Sure. You know, I just figured, well, you know what? It, the truth would come out at some point. So therefore, the, you know, if, either I would, I would survive and be a musician or I wouldn't survive and they'd be right. Right. So you always hear, uh, you know, like comedians, they tell their origin stories and they say, you know, my parents didn't believe that comedian was a job. And then I was on Letterman. They could see me on TV and then it validated it. That's, there's, there's just truth to that. Like pretty much. My parents came out to visit in Los Angeles when I was living out there, and they kind of came in at the perfect time. It was like the perfect storm. I had like a million gigs and two big studio recordings, right? You know, like not like not major. You know, I say big, big for me. I was sure. You know, you know so, so I was like, I said, well, you know, come on out. You know, come on, you know, come on out, and uh, you know, to get the recording. You can come out there. You can hang out a little bit. You know, blah, blah. you're like where it is, and then you know. So we we spent the day out there. Then I came home and we made some dinner. And I said, okay, I got to I have a gig tonight. It's starting at ten. I want to come. Oh no, no. The next morning I got up at seven, started warming up. They were, had breakfast. I had I had to be at the studio by eleven. You want to come? Oh no, I'm exhausted. I'm totally exhausted. <laughs> you do this all the time. I said, well, yeah, whenever I can. And so that from that point on, they stopped. My uncles never stopped harassing me about you know is this a real job? My parents kind of did. So yeah, they started. They got the point that well, they didn't understand it, but it was something that was going on. Obviously, you were working, right? Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't. Just, I wasn't just either selling drugs or pimping somebody, or right. you know, doing or living off some chick, you know, some, you know, you know, some, you know, all the all the stereotypical bullshit. Right. I can say bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you can say fuck, you can certainly yeah, say that's bullshit. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. all the stereotypical stuff that you know really exists, but exists in all kinds in all. I mean, geez, look at it, look at high finances. It exists there on a constant basis. Right. right. So. Yeah, so, no, fair enough. So, but, but, you know, I kind of don't, fo- I didn't focus on that as a, uh, um, if I'm talking too much, just tell me to start up. But uh, I didn't focus on that as a, uh, as a, uh, as a blockage or a kind of a, uh, a, a, a deterrent. I just kind of like, okay, that's, this is how life is, but I, I got this trajectory and I got too much time. To, I got too much to learn to practice. I got to practice. I got to play in tune, man. Oh, God. I have to learn these changes. I have to learn this tune. I have to learn how to play this. I'm, well, I got to start up for the bow. I got to, oh, hey, too much to learn. Yeah. So I, there's, I just dis- dismissed it. How did you, how did you know at that time in college that actually being a bass player was something someone could do? Like as a, as a way to live. I'm always curious about people who don't come from musical families. How do you even know that like, that's a job you can have? I didn't know. I just knew that that's something that I wanted to do. And I perhaps, and I have been chided by being too ideological and too idealistic in life. Maybe misrepresented, maybe not. But <laughs> anyway, I didn't know. I just knew that I wanted uh, that. They people say, what do you, you know, your guidance counselor would say, what do you want to do in your life? This is what I want to do in my life. So, why can't I do it? I mean, there are plenty of people out there. And at that time, like 1975, you know, you know, and, you know, there was, you know, the Holly, on TV, there's a the Hollywood Palace. There's, there was the, you know, this, that, all these shows, the Lawrence Welk show, you know, all these shows where, the, where musicians were being paid. You know, that was when live music was still, you know, pretty much it wasn't a bo- it wasn't, wasn't, um, what's it called that, uh, Music in a box. Right. It was live music. So there were a lot of opportunities. So I just saw that as well. Okay, I'll just learn how to do it. And I could just learn the music. Learn the fundamentals, learn, learn the rubrics, do it. And then if I want to do the creative stuff, I can do that as well because, you know, of course, you know, that was, a, that was a big dream. Right. But if you don't dream big, what are you going to do? Yeah. You're if you dream small, I mean. Look back at the end and regret. Yeah. And yeah. one thing I don't want to live life is a regret. 
Yeah. I can be I can live life sad but not with the regrets. I don't think anyone should live with regrets. When did you uh to just put a label on it, when did you first hear kind of free free music? Do you remember when that Oh yeah, happened? I do remember. Yeah. I had mononucleosis. I was a sophomore in high school. And uh all the great jazz stories start with mono, I think, don't they? Uh, yeah, 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 I think so, man. How many, how many great jazz uh, stories yeah. have we? Yeah. And Mr. Mr. J, man, the the trump, the saxophone player who was teaching the the the, the, the band in high, in, in high school, sent me some recordings, and one of them was uh, you know from the library to listen to while I was while I couldn't go in, and one of them was jazz abstractions, called the Schiller's Jazz with, with Ornette Coleman, and I heard that and I go, where have you been all my life? And that was it. I was hooked. No kidding. Up, up until that time, I wanted to be an oceanographer. <laughs> a ge- an ocean, I was really into geology and oceanography. Wow. And that's what I wanted to do. Well, look. Yeah, that's right. He's pointing out a T-shirt he's wearing that says Glam Power. <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah. what I wanted to do. But when I heard this, I said, that, that changed my whole trajectory. That was it. That was it. I heard Ornette, and I go, holy crap, i got to do this. Was it like a – I mean, it was a visceral, like a physical thing, or you just <sighs> – it was an, it was a totally thing. It was a total thing. It wasn't even visceral. It was a total. It was like yeah. It was like holy crap. This like this is what I gotta do. This, there was not no doubt about it. No doubt about it. It was like that was it. This is uh, this is the music I heard. It. No one else was uh, that around was I was hearing. That's a fairly hip band director. That one yeah. of the things he sent you was that. Yeah, it was one. He sent me some other stuff, and you know, but that was that. You know, so he sent me a kind of a. It was a. It was a montage. It was a. It was, it was like. There were twelve records on there, and there were all kinds of different ones. I don't even remember what the other ones were, but the, you know, but that was one of them was in, that was in there. I don't know why he did it, but it was just and it, that was it that hit me, and I well. And did you did you like go back to him and say, can I have more music like this, or did you start looking around in record stores or libraries? No, I was or? kind of a shy guy, so I was kind of introverted, you know. So, so I didn't really talk. I just said, well, I just said, wow. So I just started like poking around the radio and just like trying to find stuff, stuff and go to the radio record store and yeah. you know, and that's what kind of how I got. Then I discovered, uh, you know, like a. Uh, Miles, you know, uh, Milton Pitches Brew, and that's, you know, all the stuff that, I, because I wasn't from a music fan, I was living in Long Island, so I wasn't really hearing a lot of musical stuff. I wasn't musically hip, you know, as they, as they say. I hate yeah. that word hip, but, yeah. but I'm using it sarcastically <laughs> and sardonically. Yeah. But I, I didn't really know that because I didn't really have anybody that I hung out with. I mean, I was the only one listening to it in my high school that, you know, and anywhere else, and people were, I, I don't even want to use the words that they were using to, to describe the music that, that I was listening to because they, let's put it this way. I was white. They were white. This music was not white. So the, you, we can leave it to the imagination. I don't even want to entertain that word. Yeah. I'll entertain many other words, but not that one. So therefore, yeah. you know, and I was totally stunned because I, how can you not? This is real. Yeah. Well, when did you first meet other people who also knew about when I went that to, kind when of music? I went to, 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 that's why I went to Syracuse because I, I, Syracuse was a good place for me that was like not the big city, not a little city, and it actually had a great music department. And it, it had, and it had every possibility that I can go orchestra, classical, uh, jazz, um, electronic, and everything. Oh, Syracuse was, was, was top of the game in the seventies, man, and a lot of stuff. Not just because I went there. Right. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and did you, uh, when you, when you first started learning to play the bass, mm-hmm. um, what, what was that like trying to fit that into the context of the kind of more adventurous and, of the music, it seems like it's easy to imagine what the bass's role is when the bass's role is walking or whatever, because that's like a—I mean, it's kind of an easy thing to hear and to picture and to understand. But when you talk, when you start, you know, kind of getting into this area without a net and without necessarily a carefully blazed trail, uh, what was that like to try and? I didn't. I didn't. Uh, 
I don't have an answer for that because I didn't, it didn't seem like a question. Sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, I understand your question, but it, it just seemed like you just play. But now that could be because I was a naive guy st- starting out. But even now, I'm not that, I'm, I'm naive to some things, but even now as I'm thinking about it naively, I think each instrument has its own nuance, so therefore it's always going to be different. And I didn't, I didn't see a difference. Yeah. You know, you, you're just going to do it. And I, Maybe it might be easier to do it from the from the bass perspective because it's at about rhythm, and I really like rhythm. I mean, I think if you notice in more, a lot of my stuff, there's a lot of rhythmic stuff. Yeah. So I'm I'm really about a rhythm. I'm I'm kind of rhythmic rhythmically oriented. Yeah, I am that way too. And I was thinking, uh, well, I interviewed uh, the bass player Ben Allison a, a little while back, and I was saying to him that his music always really, really hits me emotionally the way that like my favorite pop music does, and. Um, and a lot of times, uh, I'll just say this out loud in the jazz session. I'm not sure I've ever said it before, but uh, if I if I listen to music because I want to really have an emotional connection, most of the time that's pop music. And by pop music, I mean everything from like Stevie, which is like what I listen right, to. Yeah. Stevie's like my injection of happy drugs. Um, you know, to to music more people would consider pop, but like music from the pop and rock world. And there are some cases where jazz artists hit me that way too. Ben suggested that he thought his music hit me particularly well because he and I grew up listening to a lot of the same music, and so we had similar musical references. But even without knowing what you listened to growing up or what other kinds of music you listened to, the thing you said about really liking rhythmic music hits me too because that's the thing to me. That's like the key element. Rhythmic music and well-sung harmonies are the two things to me that grab me. Rhythmic, Which, rhythm is the, is, is, is the shit. Because I studied, you know, my first composition lesson was with uh, Howard Boatwright in Syracuse. He's, he's dead now. Composer, studied under Hindemith. One of the things that he said that really hit me, he said, the first thing that happens if you want to get anything to be, be expressed is express it rhythmically. Without the rhythm, any, any grouping of notes or harmonies mean nothing. Rhythm is what t- ties it together. And he kind of then he went into a thing of saying you know in the you know the primitive peoples you know their rhythmic their 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 tone values are you know minor thirds and that was about it and perfect fifths and whole steps and that's it, but they have strong rhythm. And I didn't like the word primitive because it's really like the, I'd like to say non-technical in a right. you know anthropological f- correct format. But he's right because what hap- what the first thing you have to do is you can you get someone rhythmically. The second part is do they walk away singing something. You know, not singing the whole thing, just singing something. There's something that, that catches into their sonic brain. So rhythmic is really the most, I think, the most important thing. The most important thing. Yeah. You know? And I think it has the, it has the ability to, to, and it's not the only thing that can do this, but it has the ability to transcend any level of musical knowledge on I, the part of the audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you feel it. I mean, okay, here's a, here's a, here's a tangential story that will... Uh, Hit the point. So I was in Syracuse, right, playing these gigs, late night gigs, on Franklin Street, right. That which is that pretty much down a kind of the part of the part of the the black ghetto, you know, in in Syracuse, you know, the Franklin Arch Theater, the big porno thing, right. So we'd be playing at this, at this one place, and sometimes we'd be playing until four or five in the morning, and about three o'clock the hookers would come in. Now this is gonna sound so trite, but it's the, really the truth. And I remember, so I remember we were, we were on the bandstand, and the, and, the, and the jukebox was like right in front of us. And in front of the jukebox would stand these 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 gals, man. You know, it's like, 
And I would notice if we were if we were really hitting, if the things really felt like they'd be dancing. If we weren't, if the stuff was like sagging or something, they weren't there dancing. And I just started noticing that if we're on, if we're hitting rhythmically, everything. And I started so, so since then, I've always watched an audience with my eye, and I'm, play, I'm telling you whether I'm playing straight ahead, whether I'm playing classical, whether I'm playing tango. What I'm playing, whatever I'm playing, or free the free, I'm always watching some parts. I got to see some parts of the people's body move, their finger, one toe. If I see one bit of body move, we're in, we're in. If nothing's moving, I go, man, we're not, we're we're off the mark. We're not touching that rhythmic part of the soul. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. <laughs> it's all all afternoon. I've been finding these these commonalities that are you know like it, we're brothers from another mother, but. Uh, <laughs> My first, uh, my first professional gig was in a, a Latin dance band. Okay, and so it was the same thing. You would know. I mean, that was music whose purpose was to get people onto yeah. the dance floor. And if they were not on the dance floor, to go back to the stand-up comedy thing, it's like if nobody's laughing. Yeah. I mean, you you know instantly whether this music is, is succeeding or not. Yeah. And to flip it into a positive way, if the dance floor is full of people all moving to this music. The like f- the feedback loop that that creates with the musicians is oh. so intense. There's just nothing like it. Exactly. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's just that the word primal, in the same way that the word primitive, always makes it sound like it's not sophisticated. Right. And it can be incredibly sophisticated, but it also it does not have to have a ton of data to make it powerful. I think exactly. which to me is the the magic about. It has to have clarity. Right. Like clarity, cl- direct clarity to to to, to the body. Yeah. Yeah. Not even to the head. Not even to the head, to the body. Right. Yeah, in fact, maybe particularly not exactly. to the head yeah, yeah, all, yeah, yeah, in yeah, a yeah. lot of cases. Exactly. Yeah. Um, are, you the, are you the kind of person who, when the, the record is out, is thinking about the next one already? No, or? no right, right now I'm thinking about, well, I need to get some gigs for this group right. because <laughs> and, and it's been out a couple of months and I, I'm, I'm, I'm a lay, I'm, I'm No. <laughs> No, yeah, no, because I'm still digest. I'm still dig- I've written more music, you know, for it, but we haven't. I'm just trying to get us get get us going. But I, I'm a bad, I'm a, I'm a bad front guy, you know. I, I'm I'm working on that, but you know the, uh, but also I, thinking about that, I'm also I think there's way too many CDs out there. So I personally <laughs> testify, be- brother. Yeah, yeah. As someone who gets more than a thousand a year. Oh uh, yeah, okay. I'm so down. I, I, I'm thinking like, well, okay, if you do put out a good CD. Hey man, let's leave it a couple of years. Let's play some more music. Let's develop some stuff because there's a lot of stuff out there that we, you know, I mean, it's not Thanksgiving anymore, right? It's not. It's you're not in Kansas anymore, right? right? It's not Thanksgiving anymore. Let's let's not have the indigestion, you know. So you know, I really think that we really need to. Ideally, fairy tales can't come true, <laughs> but I think that, we, that there are way too many CDs coming out that that we really that we should. I don't want to put out that many. I'd rather put out a couple of good quality CDs if people like them, right? Or at least good quality that I say I I feel comfortable putting it out there. Then putting out, I'm thinking about another one is like not paying attention to present tense, right? For me, I can't speak for anybody else because everybody else has has their own agenda. But for my agenda to do that, I can't. Yeah, which makes me really not a good business business guy, right? But it sounds like you've 
it sounds like the music to you is not about that anyway. Well, no, it's really about expression. And, you know, I, I would like this band to be playing a little bit, more, a lot more, you sure. know, to, to express, you know, it's not just me. It's, it's to express our music that we're making because these guys, are, you know, everybody gets a chance to, to be, to be free. Yeah. In, in the stuff. And that's, you know, to, to bring that in. And then when everyone is free, then the audience is free to, to, to listen to it, whether it's eight minutes or 28 minutes. Right. <laughs> you know, and I should say, I, I don't mean, obviously you, you, one aspect, one side effect of you playing music is you get to sleep indoors and eat and that kind of thing because it's how you make your living. Exactly. So I don't mean to suggest that you're not no, I know thinking you, I, about it at all. I just mean that you've – the central piece to you is not – it's not the lifestyle or the financial benefits of it. It sounds or, like the Or the stardom of it, whatever. The, whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, no, no. That's, that's, that's true. Yeah. That's true. We uh, – I, I the first, very first time I looked at the time of this recording and it's like – already twice as long as the average interview so um <laughs> i think that's a, a an inducement the the hard the hard harsh mistress of time for me to say that my guest is ken filiano and uh, the album is called dreams from a clown car the album is awesome and uh, i highly recommend awesome is such a stupid word but it is really oh, it is really wonderful I, I highly recommend people check it out and uh man it's it's just been uh one of the great pleasures of moving back to new york for me to to get a chance to know you and uh, to spend some time so I, I thank you very much oh, you're welcome thank you man and another dinner ensuing Great. How about right now? Okay. Let's turn this off and go make something. That is music from Ken Filiano and his new CD, Dreams from a Clown Car. My thanks to Ken for being on the show. 
And thank you so much for listening. This is The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, our first official sponsor, and presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Please do become a member. There are five shows left until number 300, and... As I'm recording this intro, I need a few dozen members. It might be less by now, but in any case, I could use your help. So please do become a member for as little as 10 bucks a month. Uh, also, I realized yet again for the 50th time that I forgot to do this at the beginning and thank the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who re- did the show's logo, and he tweets very humorously at twitter.com slash Vrabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. And now, if you would, get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.